This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. Over the last year, we have gone through many prophetic scriptures. We've spent time going through the book of Daniel. On Wednesday night, we went through the book of the prophet Zechariah. And now we're making our way through the book of Revelation. And oftentimes as we go through these books, God purposely draws back the curtain of the physical world to give us a glimpse of the spiritual world around us. And other times he gives us a glimpse of future events that are going to take place. And that's what we've been involved in in the book of Revelation. Both the pulling back of the curtain and the looking ahead. Interesting thing about that, though, is when you pull back the curtain on something, sometimes you see things that are difficult. Things that you may or may not want to see. It's one thing to pull back the spiritual curtain from physical to spiritual and see the host of angels and angelic beings that minister to us, defend us, and stand by us. It's very comforting to know that God's ministering spirits are everywhere. But there's also another group, as it were. There are another horde of angels. These are fallen angels. Angels that sometime before the creation of space, time, and matter rebelled against Almighty God. Led astray by Lucifer, the anointed cherub, the beautiful angel that became so prideful, so full of himself that he sought to overthrow God. But of course, no one can do that. No thing can do that. And God repelled him. Unfortunately, one-third of the heavenly host followed him. And God cast Lucifer to the earth, and he became Satan, the destroyer, the accuser. And those rebellious angels became known as demons. And as we go through our world today, as you pick up headlines, last night going to bed, I very, I'm a news junkie. I listen to talk radio. I am always looking at the news. I want to know what's going on, especially in my role as a pastor because everybody else is looking at that. And I'm always trying to seek the biblical viewpoint on the world around us. Of course, last night as I was going to bed, I did something I normally don't do. I looked at the news headlines. Mistake. Because I saw such horror. This mass shooting, another mass shooting. I find out this morning, eight dead, many wounded. Heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, and sadly happening all too often. We're seeing some sort of upheaval in our nation and in our world. That leaves many politicians and pundits scratching their heads and seeking for answers. But unfortunately, on both sides of the aisle, they're looking in the wrong places. 
This morning as I prepare to minister and preach the, go the gospel of Christ and look into the scriptures, because I'm an expository preacher, what in the world does that mean? It means I preach the scripture as it's exposed. Aaron does the same thing. Rather than cherry pick points to focus on my agenda, preachers like myself and like Aaron and other good pastors, we try to preach the word as it's laid out. And when we preach through books of the Bible, we do that because we want to make sure that we preach the whole counsel of God. Comforting parts, encouraging parts, and sadly and most difficultly parts that we find disconcerting and upsetting. And that's what I've been tasked with with the book of Revelation because this, the middle of the book of Revelation deals with a time known in Scripture as the Great Tribulation. When God will one day answer the prayers of the saints as they have prayed for millennia asking God to do something about the unrighteousness and injustice in the world. And one day God is going to judge the world and allow the world to be judged. We've seen great judgments coming from the releasing of seals as God holds the deed to creation. It is his work. He can do whatever he chooses with it as God. And he's released seven seals that have brought out grief and difficulty and judgment. And now we're in the midst of seven trumpet judgments. And we saw last week the different environmental judgments that are coming. See, because when humanity fell in the garden, it wasn't just humanity that was cursed by sin. It was the entire world. The earth was cursed by sin. Romans 8 tells us that. Romans 8 tells us that the, the environment, the earth itself, groans with pain for redemption. And as we get into chapter 9, chapter 9, if I were going by how I felt, we'd skip chapter 9. Chapter 9 is difficult. I'm not going to lie to you. It's not a passage that I enjoy preaching. And it's probably not going to be something that you necessarily enjoy hearing, but here's the thing. God put it there. This is God's word. And if I'm going to be any kind of a preacher, I must preach it. To skip it, to just run over it, would not only dishonor you, but it would dishonor God. And that's what's most important. Because chapter 9 deals with two more trumpets. These two trumpets signal something that is something beyond our comprehension right now. And basically, it's a twofold demonic invasion of the world that will take place during the tribulation period. Again, the reality is there is a host, an innumerable host of demonic spirits that serve their demonic king, as we saw last week. And we'll see again. Satan is alive and living, he is a personage. He is a personality. He is a fallen angel. And yes, he is powerful. But oftentimes we overestimate him, as we said many times. The devil, people say, oh, the devil made me do this. The devil's been busy. The, devil's, the devil doesn't know who you and I are. He is not omnipresent. He is not all-powerful, all-knowing. He's not the opposite of God. He is a created angelic being. Powerful, yes. But he's not like God. 
So he can't be everywhere at once, but he has minions. He has, he has spiritual servants, fallen angels, who do his bidding. And the biggest work of Satan is to distract, to misdirect, to lie. Because Satan knows his days are numbered. His, his minions know their days are numbered. They want to take everybody they can with them. As we will see when we get in chapter 12, Satan even went so far as to try to undermine the very advent of the Messiah. So he is very much real. And the demonic host is very much alive and, 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 and doing business. So as we look ahead into the future, we're going to see this horrendous event take place. And you see glimpses of it now. Just last weekend, there was an event in Boston. It was the second annual Satan Con, where the Temple of Satan had its convention. They had their first convention last year. They had about 400 people come. This year, it's doubled. They had 800, close to 1,000. And this was in the heart of Boston. And they really caused a ruckus. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to infiltrate different aspects of society. As a matter of fact, many public schools across the nation, many colleges across the nation are beginning to have Satan clubs. You say, that's horrible. Well, it is, but this is America. Freedom. Freedom of expression. Freedom of worship. But nonetheless, they're out there. As a matter of fact, at SatanCon, one of the leaders said, and this was just last weekend, we stand here today in defiance of their siege and destroy their symbols of oppression. Who are they? Well, it says this was said by a leader to the crowd before ripping pages out of the Bible and throwing them on the floor. So already you have a rising tide of people who are seeking other than God, and not only seeking other than God, but being resentful and hateful towards the things and the people of God. Now this is nothing new, y'all. This has been going on ever since creation. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God, when, when Cain committed the first murder, Things have been accelerating and coming in waves ever since. The problem is most of God's people, we want to ignore these things because why? They're not pleasant. They're not comfortable. We don't want to deal with that. It harms our sensibilities. But we know there's a demonic host alive and living as we see reports and problems in the news. It seems like human nature is just going worse and worse. Shootings, perversions, Stupid and unnecessary racial hatred. Just all around meanness and anger. And oftentimes when somebody like me or like you brings up the idea of a true and living devil or the idea of his satanic minions, we're laughed to scorn because we've learned that Satan is just some imaginary funny man. And I don't know, I guess they still make this stuff. I don't need it anymore. 
I don't eat a lot of things my mom had me eat when I was a kid. I grew up and got smart, okay? One of the things we used to eat was deviled ham. Y'all had deviled ham? Okay, yeah. Y'all know what's in deviled ham? Okay, no, but I'll eat it anyway. Okay, you're the same people that eat liver mush. I love you, but that's just the way it is. But when you get these cans of ham, there's a happy little devil in a red union suit and a barbed tail, porch, porch, uh, pitchfork, and horns. And we think he's cute. Kids go dressed as the devil at Halloween and in costume parties. The devil is on the entertainment docket on movies and shows. And oftentimes he's made out to be a caricature. And of course, this is what the Bible says and said would happen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul said, And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Into somebody who is supposed to bring enlightenment. This is the idea behind SatanCon, by the way. Because the leaders of this will tell you why we don't worship a theistic devil, a real devil. But we do worship what he stands for. And they go on to read a litany of virtues that you would think came right out of a church. But they've twisted them. And this is what has been going on ever since the garden. And it seems like the further down the road we get, the more difficult things come, the more amazingly evil the world seems to be at times. We call it man's inhumanity to man. But what is energizing that? What is the impetus behind those crimes and killings, those, those attitudes, those hatreds, those, those bigotries? What's behind that? Somebody would say, Pastor, we're living in the last days. Maybe. I, I think we're getting close. I can't tell you one way or the other. I believe we are in the last days, but you can take it or leave it. You'll get over it. But I believe that there is a demonic inspiration and instigation behind much of what is evil in this world. Partly it's just humanity in its fallen sinful state. Bad people, we do bad things. But as bad as it is now, during this time of tribulation that we'll see Daniel spoke about, even Jesus spoke about, you think it's bad now, you haven't seen anything yet. Paul addresses this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 where he says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Even in Paul's day, nearly 2,000 years ago, there was lawlessness and they called it a mystery. Why are people the way they are? Why do things happen the way they do? He said, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. In other words, it would be worse than it is now, believe it or not, if not for the Holy Spirit of God in the world. The Holy Spirit of God is the restrainer of evil. In a sense, you can think of evil as being dammed up to a great extent with leaks here and there. But God says one day he's going to remove the Holy Spirit from the world. This is why many believe in the Bible, I think, teaches of the rapture, the catching away of the church. One of the reasons the church is caught up is because the Spirit will be taken out 
And according to Paul, when we get saved, we get sealed with God's Spirit. He dwells within us. And so it stands to reason that when the Spirit is taken out, the church goes with Him. And then there will be a time of tribulation and trouble because that, that dam will be gone. And evil will just flood because God will utilize it to judge the world. So let's pick it up in Revelation chapter 9. We see the fifth and the sixth trumpet in this chapter. And again, this is not pleasant to hear. It's not pleasant to preach. But God often asks us to do things that are not pleasant to give him glory and to do his will. Chapter 9, verse 1, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. And to him it was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only those men who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads, the godly people who were witnessing for the Lord. And they were not given outright authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of scorpion, of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. Verse 7. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold. And in their faces, their faces were like the faces of men. And they had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like the, beast, or like the breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and, they were, and, there, and there, there were stings in their tails, and the power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king, or they had as a king over them, as we mentioned before, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek, his name is Apollyon. Both mean destroyer or destruction. The angel then says, one woe is past. He mentioned three woes in chapter 8, or judgments. One judgment is past. Behold, still two more woes, judgments, are coming after these things. So as we look at this scripture, it sounds surreal, doesn't it? This is not the Sermon on the Mount, is it? This is describing a future event, something that is coming, that will happen. And as we look at this, many who teach this passage like to read into it a lot of modern descriptions and sensibilities. I'm going to tell you, we're not going to do that here. We're going to read Scripture at face value and take it for what it says. Because it's the, God, it's the Word of God. If God wanted us to know more, He would have given us more. But there are some things we can interpret from the Scripture. For instance, what about this falling star that John sees? This fallen star. Well, if we go back to the beginning of the passage in verse 1, it says, Then the angel, fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. That word fallen could be better translated in the English, a star that had fallen. 
to earth. In other words, John wasn't observing this star falling. This star had already fallen sometime in the past. And in the last chapter, we saw great meteors coming down. This was different because he notices, he says in the next phrase, fallen from heaven and to, and, and, and to earth, and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. This is an individual. This is a personage. This fallen star. Who is this fallen star? Well, Jesus gives us indication of it. Back in the book of Luke chapter 10, Jesus reflecting on Satan himself, he said, as God eternally existent, he said, and, I, and he said to his disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So it would seem to indicate that this fallen star is a reference to the fallen angel Lucifer himself. The name Lucifer means light. And we see Satan now is getting a little bit of free reign as God in his permissive will has taken out the restraining spirit. And so Satan goes to this abyss, this bottomless pit, Spiritually, in the center of the earth, according to Scripture, there is, a, there is a place of burning torment and fire. Whether that's physical or spiritual, the Bible doesn't make clear. But under the permissive will of God, Satan has been handed the key, and now he is going to release the demonic horde onto the planet. And as we see them, they're like a swarm of locusts. I've never actually witnessed a swarm of locusts. But I've seen old movies of places where locusts had swarmed, and it's frightening looking. When locusts swarm in, especially in agricultural areas, they destroy crops. The sky can be black with them. Now, they don't hurt humanity. You can stand in the midst of a swarm and not necessarily be hurt. But they'll destroy all the plants and everything around them. But in this case, God said, don't touch the plants. Attack the people. Because God is bringing judgment against those who reject him. And the description is horrible. They come like this grand thundering swarm. And they were commanded not to harm the gra grass or the, any green thing or any tree, but only those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were given nine months during this time to wreak havoc. It's interesting because the average lifespan of a locust, or five months, the average lifespan of a locust is about five months. <laughs> but these were more than locusts. Notice the description again in verse 7. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like, like uh, iron, and, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of many chariots, and they had scorpion tails. Now, some would interpret this and say, well, this is John's first century understanding as he looks into the future of modern mechanized weaponry, such as uh, military helicopters. I've heard this description often. This is John's first century way of trying to describe something he doesn't understand. And if you think of a military helicopter, I guess it could look like that, but there's no way of knowing that. So I'm not going to get up here and dogmatically say anything like that. I'm going to read the scripture for what it says. These were ugly rascals. These are grievous, ugly, gruesome creatures. 
You know, as we imagine demonic hosts, as we imagine Satan himself, we often try and try to, oftentimes try to picture him in certain ways that calm our sensibilities. But for the record, let's just say these creatures are exactly as John describes them. Horrible, grotesque, frightening. And they've been released on all humanity to wreak havoc. Even in our world today, we see the frightening work of their hands, the shooting this weekend. We see the perversions in our world that are going on with those who are seeking to mutilate children to transition them from one gender to the other. We see unnecessary and stupid racism. I still don't understand disliking somebody because their skin color is different from yours. It doesn't make any sense. It's sinful. It's demonic. We see already their work, but in this period, we're going to see them, or they're going to see them as they are. Is this describing modern military mechanisms? I, I don't know. What I do know, it's describing demonic hosts. And if this is how John sees them, then that's how we see them. So we see their frightful appearance, their description. And we know that these are the demonic hosts because he tells us who their king is. And John is told to be specific, and he gives the Hebrew name as well as the Greek name, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Bible as a whole. God's Word, the Old Testament written in Hebrew, the New Testament written in Greek. God wanted us to make sure that we knew exactly who this individual was, the destroyer, Abaddon, Apollyon, Lucifer, the angel of light who fell from heaven, the falling star who then became Satan. The word Satan or Shatan means accuser. And he is calling the shots. So this is that fifth trumpet when God in his permissive will is going to sure enough pull back and pull out the spirit and literally let all hell break loose. We talk about hell breaking loose. Husbands, if you go home, you go and spend too much money at Bass Outlet, you go home and tell your wife, you think you're afraid all hell's going to break loose. Kids, you bring home a bad report card, you're afraid of that. We always use that phrase, well, all hell's going to break loose. Well, here's the thing, my dear brothers and sisters. During this time of great tribulation, quite literally, all hell is going to break loose. And rather than shy away from this passage, we need to take it, we need to receive it, we need to understand it. Because the world is not what we want it to be. The world is what it is. Truth is what it is. And this is God's way of showing us the truth, what is coming. And it is difficult. That's just the first demon invasion in the fifth trumpet. There's another one as we continue going. All hell's going to continue to break loose. Let's look at the sixth trumpet, verse 13. Then the angel sounded, the sixth angel, a sixth trumpet. And again, trumpets were given to sound alarm. They were given to gather the people, to call attention, to make announcements. God unsealed his judgments at first to demonstrate that he was the Lord over creation. 
God during this tribulation period is now sounding trumpets to get the people's attention. And I believe he wants to get our attention. Then the sixth angel sounded and I heard a voice from heaven from the four horns of the golden altar which is before God. Verse 14 saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So verse 15 the four angels who had been prepared for the hour day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The first demon invasion brought pain and suffering. This invasion is going to bring death. Verse 16, now the number of the army of horsemen was 200 million. Now the phrase and the term horsemen is not unusual in scripture referring to angelic and demonic hosts. Different places in the Old Testament such as Daniel and Zechariah as well as back in verse 6 when we looked at the four horsemen of the apocalypse. This is often referring to the spiritual world, whether demonic angels, the host of heaven, or, or, or excuse me, good angels, the host of heaven, or demonic hordes. Some would try to interpret this as a modern military army. When I was coming up as a believer, I was influenced to understand that this was referring to perhaps the Chinese army. Because only China had the ability to field a 200 million man or woman army. Though it is also believed at that time that was rather overdone. But yet today there are that many in the East if you mix the Asian Chinese armies as well as the Islamic hordes. Maybe that is possible, I don't know. But this seems to be referring to, again, another demonic horde. That's the way John says it. That's the way I'm going to understand it. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. And those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. I, I, I see people always going online trying to find out which country this flag stands for. The reality is many countries have red, blue, and yellow in their flags. It says, and the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. Verse 18, by uh, these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone, which came out of their mouths. For their power is their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents, having heads, and with them they do harm. That sounds a little bit more unusual than just a human army. This is yet another demonic army, these four angels bound at the river Euphrates. That is their home. Interestingly enough, the river Euphrates was always considered in the Old Testament. And understand this about the book of Revelation. Past chapter 3 and 4, the book of Revelation takes on a grand Old Testament flavor. And again, the focus is on Israel and the Gentile world. And the Euphrates River was the separating boundary between, for instance, Israel and Babylon and Persia. And so this was symbolic to a great extent of these four fallen angels. We know that they were evil fallen angels. Why? Because they were bound there. The Bible tells us in different places that God consigns the demonic host and binds them under the deep. They were bound there. And yet God in his permissive will allowed them to be released and to wreak havoc 
with a 200 million horsemen demonic army. And their hostility was just, it just knew no ends. It was killing and, and destroying. And they brought tremendous horror and will bring tremendous horror. Daniel talks about this time in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. He says, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. In other words, Daniel, as he's encouraging the nation of Israel as they are, as they are in captivity, he said, you think this is bad. One day, all hell is going to break loose. And there's going to be a time of horrendous trouble, such as the world has never known since there had been a nation, even up to this time. And Daniel goes on to describe that in further detail. Not only did Daniel say this, but we have it from the very lips of our Savior. In Matthew chapter 24, as you read Matthew chapter 24, you almost have the book of Revelation in microcosm there. As Jesus himself unfolds and brings out the different judgments and trials and difficulties that are coming. And of this period, Jesus himself in Matthew 24, 21 says, For then there will be a great tribulation. We just didn't make that term up. We just didn't come up with that. Some dispensational theological crackpot just didn't come up with that term. That is a true term that's coming from the lips of our Savior. There will be a great tribulation. Such has not been seen since the beginning of the world. Notice this, until this time, no, nor ever shall be. Now remember when Jesus is making this statement, they are under the oppression of the Roman Empire. The Roman boot is sitting heavily on top of them. And yet this is, he said, even our situation under the Romans, nothing like what's coming. And he calls it the Great Tribulation. Nothing has happened like that since the beginning of the world, nor, nor ever shall be until God brings the judgment. Man, I hate preaching this stuff. It does not give me any glee. It does not give me any enjoyment. I'm not going to stand up here and cackle over God bringing judgment against the world. As I said last week, we should never take any kind of joy or rejoice in the death of anyone or the judgment of anyone. Because let me reiterate, all of us are deservant of hell. There is no one in this room, including this preacher standing before you, that deserves heaven. There's none of us that deserve the love of God. It is by the grace, the unmerited favor of Almighty God that we can even know Him through Christ. It is by the very mercy and grace of God that salvation has been provided as a gift. None of us can earn it. None of us deserve it. There's nothing you can give God to trade for it. The old hymn writer had it right when he said, Jesus paid it all. And as Vance Havner once said, God's not interested in our two bits to help. We are, we are, we are heaven bound, not because of us, but because of him. But God must judge sin, otherwise he would not be God. And so Daniel foretells of this event. Jesus himself foretells of this event. Paul tells us it's going to happen when God's spirit is moved out or removed. 
their home was the river Euphrates of these angels. They've been bound there, probably are bound there now. You say, I've, been, I've seen pictures of Euphrates, I haven't seen them. Understand, this is behind the curtain of the physical. It's interesting to me, I had a man tell me once, he said, you think what you see around you is reality. Intangibly speaking, it is. But God's reality is beyond the senses. And again, we get to have the curtain pulled back every once in a while, take a glance. And their hostility is against the world. These angelic fallen angels, these demons, they hate anything that's good, anything that's righteous, anything that smacks of God or has allegiance to God. They hate humanity and they're going to come and seek to destroy it. That's their horror. So we've seen the fifth trumpet. We've seen the sixth trumpet. And I told, I told you, difficult passages. Grotesque creatures doing unimaginable things. Things that we can't understand. And if you sit and reflect upon it, yes, it's horrifying. But I submit to you this morning, that, that's not the worst part of this chapter. That's not the worst part of chapter 9. Because as we get into verse 20, those first 19 verses, as horrible as they are, in sheer, awful, grotesque horror, they don't match up to the last few verses. Look what it says. Verse 20, but the rest of mankind, those who survived these two judgments and other judgments, who are not killed by these plagues, notice what it says in the next sentence, did not repent. They did not change their mind. They did not turn back to God. Even though up until this point they had seen horrendous things, they had seen the very hand of God bring judgment down upon them. The first six seals, the first six trumpets, they're witnessing things that you and I cannot imagine, and yet they still reject God. They did not repent of their works of their hands, that they should not worship demons. They're worshiping. We just had SatanCon a week ago. SatanCon, did you hear that? They didn't turn back from their worship of demons, nor idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, wood, which can neither see, nor hear, nor walk. In other words, in the midst of their idolatry, which is a spit in the eye of the God that created them, they continued to worship the demons and worship their idols. Worship their things, worship their creation. God is trying to get them to turn to him. You think those first 19 verses of those two invasions of demonic hordes are frightening and unsettling? This passage right here is the most difficult of this chapter. They didn't care. They didn't repent. It's reiterated again in verse 21. And they did not repent. Did not change their mind. That's what repent means. Change our mind. against. We were against God instead of turning toward him and, and finding him. They just said, mm-mm. Notice it says, and they did not repent of their murders. 
or their sorceries, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. He gives a litany of their immorality. And yes, there are things today that are immoral. We are told today that if we say something is immoral, we're bigoted, we're homophobic, we're mean. But the reality is, folks, there is an absolute morality. There is absolute truth, absolute morality. And it's not that we sit in judgment of it. We simply agree as believers with the absolute truth and absolute morality. God is the ultimate seat of truth and morality. He is morality itself. And he speaks of murder. And like I said, just this weekend, I had people tell me this week, I don't want to go to a mall anymore. Used to be a mall was a family place where you could go and take your kids and have a good time and have a snack and maybe get some, you know. But people are getting more and more fearful of crowds. You have gangs of people taking over streets in our major cities and wreaking havoc. I am not going to sit up there. I could give a litany of more perversions and ills in our social situation, but you know them. But murder seems to be on the rise. When he says sorceries there, that is such an interesting word in the Greek. It's the Greek word pharmakia, and we get our English word pharmacies from it. Because in biblical days, so-called sorcerers would often use hallucinogenic substances to get those that they were working with to trip out, and they thought they were having a spiritual experience. So you can almost translate that as substance abuse, drug abuse, alcoholism. We treat those kinds of things as though they were nothing. I heard this morning of someone struggling because of drugs. My daughter is a counselor. She's a clinical counselor, and the story, she can't be specific because of her, her, her job. She's not going to do that. She's not going to compromise her integrity. But drugs and alcohol are killing our nation. That's where the word sorcery, pharmakia. Sexual immorality, do I really need to point that out to you all today? Let me tell you what sexual morality is. Let me clarify it just in case you don't understand. Sexuality is a beautiful thing. God created it. God created sexuality for three reasons. The propagation of the human race, the bringing together of one man and one woman into one flesh, and also for enjoyment within that. Sexuality is to only be expressed in the bonds of holy matrimony between one man and one woman. And according to scripture, there are only two genders. God created them male and female. My heart goes out to people who are being duped and struggling with that understanding. Instead of being hateful to them, we need to be compassionate and love them and bring the truth to them. But not just about homosexuality and the LGBTQ and the trans community. Men and women in the church who are spitting in God's eye and entering into sexual relationships outside of marriage. Church has always been good about spitting at and pointing at the gay community or the trans community. But we oftentimes don't say anything about men and women who are shacking up together as Christians. Doing things outside of marriage that are only been that are only meant for marriage relationships. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves as we've responded to that church.
effect. It's interesting he puts that in there, but boy, we're seeing that anymore. Cyber theft, theft in general. See, in my opinion, these last couple of verses, they are the most chilling of this chapter. They are the most frightening of this entire book. That humanity in the midst of God bringing judgment would turn away from God still. Some would say, but Pastor Mike, they're mad because how can a good, loving God allow this stuff to happen? Well, God is loving. Yet we need to be careful when we say God is good because oftentimes we try to fit God into our understanding of what good is. God isn't to be judged by the standards of human morality. He is to be judged as morality itself. God is not good because he does good things. God is good, and whatever he does is good. And yes, God must judge sin. That's the, that's the other side of the coin we don't like to look at. But I love this passage, passage in Ezekiel, another prophetic book. Ezekiel, a book that speaks of God's coming judgments, and he says this. God says, say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked should turn from his way and live. It doesn't thrill God's heart to allow these judgments, to allow these demonic hosts to bring these judgments. This isn't what God, he, 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 he hates that. But he must because of his nature. As a perfect, holy God, he must judge sin. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. That's what God wants. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die? You remember back in chapter 7, God sealed 144,000 witnesses during this period to go in the world and bring the gospel, the good news of grace. Yes, even in the time of tribulation, men and women are going to get saved. Yes, the gospel is still going to be preached. God doesn't desire anyone to die. So how should we respond to this this morning? Well, again, quoting Vance Havner, he said this. He said, the real test of how much we believe of prophetic truth is what we are doing to warn people to flee from the wrath to come. In other words, here's the question he's trying to raise. Do we believe this record? Do we believe in a God of love and a God of judgment? Do we believe that tribulation is coming? And do we believe that there are going to be those who go through it? We laugh it off, we push it aside, we don't want to deal with it. But the reality is, again, as unpleasant and difficult as it is to understand, this is coming. This is coming. That's why we need to act now rather than later. Vance Havner finishes by saying this. He says, to believe the solemn truths of prophecy. You know what I find amazing? I find that so many people who get titillated by prophecy very rarely go out and tell anybody about Jesus. 
to believe the solemn truth of prophecy and then to make our way complacently through a world of sin and shame is not merely unfortunate, it's criminal. Oh, we love the Lord. We love Jesus. We love the scriptures. What about those scriptures that challenge you? What about those scriptures that make you uncomfortable? You say you believe the Bible? If you and I really believe the Bible for what it said, why aren't we out there banging down doors and going and telling everybody we come across to come to Christ? Because the reality is without Christ, if that person dies in that condition, they'll spend an eternity separated from God forever. Without Christ, if they're still living during this time, they will face some of the most horrendous, grotesque, horrible moments of world history. And the question God is asking us this morning is, do we believe this? You say, but pastor, it offends my sensibilities. It offends mine too. But it's reality. It's truth. How can we go about our time in this world without trying to tell people about Jesus? Yes, people are going to reject us. People are going to reject him. You and I aren't responsible for saving them, but we're responsible to take that message. Because God wants no one to die without him. He needs us, however we can, to bring them to him. Difficult passage difficult truth I didn't necessarily look forward to preaching this revelation is tough but you hired me and called me to bring the truth to you and I've not tried to spin it I've not tried to reinterpret it I've just read you what the scripture says Whatever they are, however they format, this is what they've been described, and this is what's coming. And we have this lip promise from the very lips of our Savior himself. The question is, what are you and I going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? Let's stand as we close in prayer. First of all, again, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, take right now, go to him. In the quietness of your heart, admit your sin, confess your sin, own your sinfulness. And the reality is we're all sinful and broken. And cast your full confidence in him as your Savior. Believe that Jesus died and took the blame for your sin. He was buried and rose again from the dead. And place your full confidence and faith in him as your Savior. If you've never done that, do it now. But if you do know Christ as Savior... If everything I shared with you from Scripture this morning is true, how can you and I continue to live the way we're living? How, and you, how can you and I not be broken for those who are lost and those who are struggling? Even as we look at the world and see people that are living in sinfulness and debauchery away from God, it breaks my heart to see all that's going on in the news, but 
God doesn't mean for us to hate anybody because he doesn't hate them. God so desperately wants us to take the truth of the good news of Jesus to them. I know this group. I know you folks. I know that if you are living in your neighborhood that you're at now, in one of your neighbor's houses, you knew it was going to catch fire and burn down to the ground. I believe in all, with all my heart you would do everything you can to warn your neighbors to get out of the house. Well, here's the truth of the matter. One day this world is going to burn down to the ground. We've seen it this morning. This is coming. This is not fairy tale. This is not symbolic make-believe. This is truth. And the question is, what are you and I going to do about it? Like last week, I just don't feel led to have an aisle invitation because it doesn't matter in a sense. If you're not going to do anything out there, don't do it in here. Submit to the Lord. Jesus said, my kingdom come. That's the prayer. Well, God's kingdom will come to you when you yield yourself to him to do his kingdom work. And that work is to go out and bring people to Christ. So we're going to pray. I'm going to leave the decision with you, and you respond or react however you choose to the Word of God. I've done all I can. Now may God's Spirit move among us, break us, and change us. Bow with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time together today. And Father, that was a very difficult passage to preach. But I pray that beyond the inadequacies and stumblings of this all-too-human preacher and teacher, Lord, you would, you would allow your message to move among your people. First of all, Lord, I pray that everyone in the sound of my voice, in live or watching online, knows Christ as their Savior. So when the Spirit is removed, they will be removed, or if they pass away now, they'll be in heaven with you. Father, as I pray, we all have friends and family who don't know Christ, co-workers and fellow students, friends and neighbors. Father, may we be burdened and broken in light of the information we've seen. And Lord, may we do everything we can to lovingly but boldly bring folks to Christ. I pray that West Concord Baptist Church would be this place that would do that. Help us, Lord, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people say, Amen. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.